Well, I'm going to ask y'all a question. How many of, how many of y'all uh, like to work in the yard, do some garden? Anybody in here? Okay, and I know we've got some kids, and you're like, not me. I hate pulling weeds. My mom and dad make me do that sometimes. I remember that. But if you do like that or whether you don't, you probably uh, kind of know about this kind of experience. Um, you've probably gone out in your, ar- your yard and you were working, and maybe you've cut down or you've run over with the lawnmower or knocked down with a weed eater, something that you thought was a weed and you found out later it was somebody's special plant. <laughs> I work in my mom's yard and my mom loves to garden. She knows all about plants and there's been times where I thought I was, you know, I'm just trying to clear it out, make it look all nice and manicured and I cut down some favorite bush or plant of hers, you know, and so now she puts these big like fence things around everything in her yard so I won't cut things down. Or maybe you've... Uh, trying to get rid of weeds and you've sprayed some Roundup or weed and grass killer somewhere to try to kill stuff and you killed some stuff you weren't supposed to. We've probably had that experience. But as you as you work outside in your yard and in your garden, um, you you start gaining more experience in that and you learn to identify and you learn to recognize the different plants there are. And and my mom is great about that. So I know I call her a lot and ask her, say, hey, mom, what is this? Or in her yard, I say, what is this? And she's really helped me over the years identify plants. And y'all know who Walter Reed is? He's kind of a plant guru in Georgia. And so my mom gave me for Christmas one year a a Walter Reed book. I don't know if that meant she was tired of me calling her, um, but I can look up in that thing and look at what the plant, the picture of the plant, know, okay, that's what that is, and that's what you're supposed to do or not do. Uh, But if you don't know, you don't know, right? And you just get out there, and invariably you're going to cut something down, remove something, or kill something that you really didn't know was a valuable plant. But here's the other thing we can do. Sometimes... We allow something to grow in our our beds or around our flowers that we think is okay. Because, you know, even weeds sometimes have flowers on them, right? And they look pretty, but they're weeds and they can damage whatever. But sometimes we allow something that's invasive to continue to grow in an area that could make a mess of the flower bed if left unchecked or even choke out the other plants. And we have to take care of those sometimes. So we've probably all had some gardening experiences where we've dealt with something like that at one time or another. But even though we might have thought we were making a good decision, a lot of times we need someone who is more experienced to guide us. And like I said, I, I checked my Walter Reed book. I talked to my mom. But we've been going through, if, if this is your first time, that's okay. But we've been going through a series called On Earth As It Is In Heaven. And basically, I thought about that prayer that Jesus talked to his disciples. His disciples came to him one day and said, Jesus, we notice you go off all the time and pray by yourself. And we want you to teach us to pray like you do. And part of that prayer says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And maybe you've said that um, with others before in a group, and that's powerful to hear that prayer going up together. But the question that kind of came out of it is I thought about what's going on in our world. Is it something we actually pray and authentically strive for in our lives? Do we really strive in every aspect of our lives to really bring about God's kingdom here, or is that just something we say or that we pray because it sounds religious and everybody's doing it and it it sounds spiritual? And Jesus spent much of his time trying to give people a clear picture of what that kingdom that we are to bring on this earth looked like. And those who were about keeping up religious appearances, if you will, or those who were all about political and social power, they didn't really like Jesus' stories. 
They didn't like his parables. They didn't like his teaching. They didn't like his presentation of what the kingdom of God should look like because it stood in very sharp conflict with, the, with their meaning of God's kingdom. So last week we looked at the parable of the sower. And you remember the, the guy goes going out and he's throwing seed, Jesus talked about. And it falls on four different areas. It falls on the path. It falls in rocky areas. It falls in uh, weedy areas. And then some falls on good soil. And it produces either 30 to 60 or 100 fold of what you actually uh, originally sowed. And so what we saw in that was, as Jesus says, our response to the kingdom is like the heart condition, our condition of our heart. When we first hear about the kingdom of God, our heart's in a certain place. And as we talked about, depending on what's happening in your life right now and in my life right now, our hearts are different, aren't they? They're in a different place. Some of us are hurting as we came in today. Some of us are maybe very joyful, but we're all in different places. And when we hear about the kingdom of God, we respond. But God is patient with us allowing us to try to get our heart in the condition so that we can receive God's word and allow something beautiful to come out of that. So we looked at that last week, but today we're going to look at another parable as we consider this kingdom of God and our response to that that Jesus shared. And again, it's about plants, it's about farming, it's about agriculture. And again, these farming stories, these stories about plants are not really just about farming. But they connected with people in Jesus' time because as they're going about their business of the day, they see these things going on all around them. They connect with that. Yeah, I saw my dad doing that this morning. Yeah, I saw my uncle this morning. I saw these ladies over there working on their garden. They've seen this as they walk about the town, so they're connecting with that experience. But Jesus, they knew in his stories, wasn't just talking about farming. He wasn't just talking about plants. He was talking about the kingdom of God, and he was saying something else. And it was kind of difficult sometimes to know exactly what is Jesus getting at. Because we know this isn't really about plants. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 13 today. And we're going to go verses 24 through 30. And this is right after what we looked at last week. Now, I'm going to read 24 to 30 where Jesus tells the parable. And then in real time when Jesus was telling this parable, right after this parable, he tells two more parables. And we're not going to look at those today, but they're very important. And I don't want to kind of take them out of context, but we're going to look at those in a, in a couple of weeks. But they're very important. They're very significant. But I want to just read this parable that Jesus told today. And then after Jesus had told those three parables, he leaves and goes back in the house, I think the scripture says. And then the disciples come and go, what was that weeds parable all about? Can you explain that to us? Because we're, we're, we're really wanting to know what that means. So we're going to do that today. So starting in verse uh, 24 of chapter 13 of Matthew, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his fields. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned and gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Okay, that's the parable that Jesus told. 
and uh, people are hearing this like we are, and we're going, what does that mean? I know he means something else. This is connecting something to our spiritual life. What is he meaning by that? And then he tells right after that the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast. And again, those are very significant. And in real time, Jesus told them together. So I want you all to know that. But I'm going to skip down to where Jesus explains it. We're going to go to verse 36. And this is where Jesus explains it because the disciples are curious. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. And his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, Jesus explains this, but there's still a part of that that we're going, "Mm, what is he getting at here? Well, Jesus says he is the one, the Son of Man. That's how Jesus identifies himself in the Gospels. He's the Son of Man. That means he is both God and man in the flesh. And Jesus is the one who's sowing these good seeds. The field is the world, and it represents the whole world. It represents all people in all times of history. And the good seeds are people of the kingdom, he says. And then there's the evil one, the devil who sows weed seeds in the field along with the good seeds. Now, notice that he says, while what? Everyone is sleeping. Now, when does everyone sleep, generally speaking? Forgive me for those of you who have to work horrible shifts. Okay, it's a different world, and God bless you for that. But generally speaking, all of us sleep at night, right? And a good farmer gets up really early, and he goes to bed really early. Early, right? That's how he does it. He gets up. So sleeping at night is a normal part of his, you know, his life. He has to get some sleep to be able to get up as soon as the sun comes up and work till the sun goes down. So this is not like you're sleeping on the job. This is normal. And how does evil operate in darkness when people are sleeping? It's not like somebody's asleep at the wheel. No, this is done evilly when people are sleeping. Normal activity. And the weeds are the people of the evil one. And the harvest as at the end of the age. Did y'all hear that? The harvest, the judgment comes when? At the end of the age. And the angels are the harvester. Who were the harvesters? The angels. Did it say Craig is the harvester? No. Did it say your name? No, it said angels. As much as we like that, we're not in that. That's not our world. That's not our job. We are either people of the kingdom or we're either people of the of the evil one. Now, I don't like when Jesus puts it in simple terms. It's either this or that. Do you? Because we live in a culture where, oh, no, no, it's not just this or this. It's a whole bunch of stuff in between it could possibly be. But that's not the way Jesus presented things. He goes, no, no, it's really like this or like this. We want it to be all these other variables that it just muddies the waters and confuses everybody. He goes, I don't even know anymore. But Jesus makes it real simple. The harvest is coming. It's at the end of the age, and the angels are the harvesters. And there will be this separation, Jesus says, of the wheat and the weeds, of the people of the kingdom and the people of the evil one. And you're either one or the other. And again, we may not like that, but that's how Jesus presented it. So what is Jesus' overall point here? 
And it's hard to say exactly, even with this explanation, we might still kind of go in different directions. But one of the things as humans that we love to do, and I think Jesus is making a point in this parable, is this. We love to make judgments, don't we? Kevin just talked about he got off of social media. Why? Because when you read that, man, are people making judgments? On everything you say, on everything you do, and they, you know, it's just unbelievable. Everybody's got a judgment. Everybody's got a thing, especially on other people. We don't necessarily judge ourselves before we just blah, 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 get it out there, do we? But we especially are hard on other people. We can be quick to pronounce guilt. We can be quick to uh, pronounce punishment on someone because they've sinned or they don't see it right or they're not doing right or they've rejected God and His kingdom. But in this parable, notice the servants are ready to pull up the weeds, stop their growth, stop their growing, stop their living, get rid of them. And I'm afraid in our world right now, that's the kind of stuff we're hearing, isn't it? I want to stop you. I, want, I don't want you to grab, I, mean, I just want to get rid of these people. And that's kind of the way we are. At first glance, it seems rid, reasonable. Let's get rid of the evil in the world. Isn't that what we should do? Let's get rid of the evil. Let's put all the bad people under a big old rock and let's drop it on them. I mean, that's the way you should operate, God. I don't know what you're waiting on. I don't know why you're waiting for all this to happen, but please do that. But the problem is is in between the bad people, guess what? There's good people in there. We're all mixed in. And at first glance, this seems reasonable. Get rid of evil. Isn't that what God said in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament? You must purge the evil from among you. I know it says that. It's in Deuteronomy 22. I just read it the other day. Purge the evil from among you? Is that what we're supposed to do? Yes. That's what God said. And there was a context for that. And I've read it. But how did God respond over and over and over again in the Old Testament to those who broke the covenant? Did God not respond with grace and mercy and patience? When we think about the whole theme of the Old Testament, you've got God's people in, in, in relationship with Him, in good relationship with Him, and then they start to drift away from God. We're God's people. We can kind of do what we want. And they start worshiping the gods of the people around them. And God goes, oh, remember we talked about this. Don't do that. And they go, oh, we're good, we're good. And yeah, we're still going to worship you, but we're going to get a little bit of this on the side as well. And that's okay. No, 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 it's not. I'm the one and only God. And they just keep doing it. He goes, sends prophets to say, God's going to punish you. God's going to punish you. And they go, okay, whatever, you're a crazy loon. No, it's not that bad. And then all of a sudden, punishment came on them. And it usually came in the form of an evil empire who came and took them over, didn't it? And then they would repent and God would release them from this evil empire and they'd be back on their own again. And guess what? All through the Old Testament, this cycle goes on and on and on. But God displays in all of those different cycles His grace and His mercy and His patience. And yes, there was accountability, and yes, there was punishment. And during those times of punishment, we read about in the Old Testament, God usually allowed in times of punishment, like I said, His kingdom, people of His kingdom, His people of Israel, to be planted among people of the evil one. They were pagan people that worshipped pagan gods and they usually had an evil dictator. And God expected them to thrive and still reflect to those evil people that they were in bondage to who God was, even in the midst of their situation. He was allowing the people of the evil one to see the people of God's kingdom were like, even in and especially in difficult times and punishment. How are my people going to respond? They know that they're here because of what they've done. How are they going to respond? How are they going to reflect me? And how many evil dictators were brought to the realization of who God was through people of the kingdom in the Old Testament? Can you think of some? 
There's awesome stories, and I encourage you to read those. Read them to your kids. They're amazing stories, and you kids are in here today. You hear about them back there. I know you do because we got great people working with you. But think about Elijah on Mount Carmel. He was going up against an evil dictator and against all these foreign gods, and in the end, on that incredible display of God's power, those evil dictators saw who God really was, even in the midst of all of the evil people and all of the good people being together. How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace? And I know sometimes we miss this, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in Babylon. They were under, um, they had been taken over, and they were in slavery to Babylon. That's what they were. They weren't really uh, on their own, but they went into that fiery furnace, and that evil dictator was like, oh, no, these guys are some of the best there are, but they, he waited, and when he saw them come out of that furnace, he knew that God was the one true God. Same thing with Daniel. When he went into the lion's den out of an evil dictator's edict, that evil dictator saw at the end of the day when he went in in the morning, Daniel was still alive. There wasn't a scratch on him, and he knew that the one true God was the one true God. Think about Jonah. Now, Jonah was not on board with this at all. He goes, I want you to go to Nineveh, and these were brutal people who did a lot of torture to their enemies. And people believed that Jonah had family members, uh, some friends who were brutally tortured and killed by these people. And God says, I want you to go and pr- preach to them. He's like, uh-uh, I hate them. I'm not going. And he ran the other way, didn't he? And he got swallowed up, and he was still so crotchety even in there that even the whale had enough of him and spit him up. But finally he went, and he preached a one-sentence sermon And when he preached that one-sentence sermon, y'all, to these evil people with an evil dictator, even the evil dictator and all the people repented with sackcloth and ashes. Everybody did. A one-sentence sermon. And Jonah was not happy. I didn't want them to repent, God. I knew you would be gracious and forgiving, and I wanted them all to die. And that's the way we are sometimes. We forget that that's not what God wants. But I think about that. Purge evil from among you. But think about all those stories in the New Testament, I mean the Old Testament. They never would have happened. They never would have happened if the wheat and the weeds, if the evil and the good were not all planted together. It never would have happened. So we need to think about that. Purge evil from among you? Absolutely, that was part in its context what God said. But Jesus in this story says no. Because if you pull the weeds up, the people of the evil one, you may uproot the wheat, the people of the kingdom with them. And you will uproot all of them. You will stop their growth. You will stop their living. Let them both grow until the harvest. Don't do anything. What? That's not good farming, Jesus. That's not good gardening, Jesus. Matter of fact, that's not good theology, Jesus. But Jesus goes, no, that is good theology. Because it's really from God. It's what God wants. You just let them both grow? Who objects to letting the wheat the weeds grow. Think about who it was. The servants. Why did the servants object? Hey, you want to go pull those weeds up right now? They want to pull them up immediately. Because if you let them grow with the wheat the whole time, guess what? When the harvest comes, we got to go out there and we got to pick them out. And then we got to go back and do the wheat. If you pick them out now, we can just do all the wheat at one time. Our jobs will be easier. And the owner, the landowner says, yeah, I know it's all about your convenience and what you want. But I'm telling you, let them all grow together. Let them all grow together. I don't like that, do y'all? It bothers me, but that's Jesus talking. It demonstrates God's patience and his long-suffering, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Covenant 
in our culture in 2021, God is still wanting to be patient. He knows there's good and there's evil, but he wants ultimately the evil people to see the good and change and repent and be who he's always created them to be. Yes, he could use that wrath and that straight arm force and devastating power to take care. Like I said, let's just put all the bad people on an island and let's blow that island up. Well, here's the problem. When did you come to Jesus? What if God had done that when you were in your rebellious hell-raising phase? And the drop, you know, the island got blown up. The, the rock got dropped on you and the good people in your life that were trying to bring you to repentance. May not have ever happened. But if you are committed to seeing growth in people, you have to use patience. When you're committed to grace and staying in a relationship with someone, you have patience, you have grace. The apostle Peter understood this. Did Peter ever get it wrong? Oh, you'll never go to the cross, Jesus. And what did, what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. You don't understand the kingdom yet, Peter, but he was patient with him. Even after he denied him three times. And Peter, later in his life, in his second letter to those early Christians, says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Who does he want to come to repentance? Everyone. Even the people I don't like, yes. Even the ones I disagree with politically, yes. He wants everyone to come to repentance. And Paul understood this reality in his life. Paul was literally going to pull up weeds. At least he thought they were weeds. He was going from house to house. We're going to arrest these Christians and throw them in jail. And he even sat at the feet while they stoned a Christian, a child, a person of the kingdom, uh, Stephen. And he sat there and watched them and going, yep, we're doing good works. We, we pulled that weed out and we're killing him. He wasn't a weed. And Paul understood that. And it took God hitting him on the road to Damascus to get him to understand God's kingdom. And goes, now from now on, guess what? I'm going to send you to specifically the Gentile people because you thought you had it all figured out. But now I'm going to teach you that you're going to go to all those people and tell them the good news of the kingdom. And that's why when he wrote to Titus, Paul said, for the grace of God has appeared that offer salvation to all people. Offer salvation to who? All people. And Paul understood that. God's grace offers salvation to all people, yes. People of the kingdom, well, of course. People of the evil one, yes. People in every part of the world, yes. People who sin, that would be everybody, yes. And we must not miss that God is fully aware of the evil seeds that have been sown and are growing along with the good seeds. They can look and appear the same, and that's what's happening. In this Greek here, the word that's translated weeds or tares is called zizania, and it's actually what they think is called darnel. And it actually, when it sprouts up, it looks exactly like the wheat that's growing. But it has to grow and grow, and finally, when it gets that, that, that head on it, that's where they differ. And you can say, oh, that's wheat, that's a weed. But when they're growing up, they look exactly the same. And what does that say to us today? There's people around us that may look like they're evil, but they might really be good. There's people who look like they're good who might really be what? Evil. And they're all around. And we know this. We're not stupid. Yeah, I know that's right. You should see these people in my class at school. You see these people I work with. You should hear my neighbor. They're all around us, aren't they? But we're all from the same God. God created all of us. And we must not miss what Jesus is saying here. 
Roman law actually prohibited. It was a law that uh, prohibited sowing darnel among the wheat of an enemy. So people are going, that's a Roman law. We know people do that. People wanted to get back at an enemy. They would go, I'm going to go ruin his whole field. I'm going to ruin his whole year as a farmer. And people were doing that. And Rome goes, no, you're not. If you get caught doing that, there's a serious offense. Interesting. And people knew that, and they're listening to Jesus. But eventually, at some point before the harvest, there will be this obvious difference in the appearance of the wheat and the weeds, a person of the kingdom and a person of the evil one. And Jesus is patient with us, warning us to come to be the person he's created us to be. He's patient. He doesn't rush judgment in his kingdom. He waits. Do you like that? Thank you, yes. But there's some of us, you know, I'm like Job sometimes. Wipe them all out. God be done with them because they're evil. Well, depending on where I was in life before I decided to follow Jesus and became a person of the kingdom, it could have been me that was uprooted. It could have been you. It could have been somebody that's close to you. And you all all have stories of people that have had their lives changed. What we need to realize is that we are all still growing, aren't we? We're all still growing. We're all still developing into who God created us to be. And if the same creator has created me and created you and created all the people, then we're all growing towards something. And only God and the angels he has appointed will do the separation and they will do that at the appropriate time. That's not my job. So I ask us this morning, how are we growing And does our growth include influencing the children, the people of the evil one who are around us, rather than hoping that they just be pulled up and taken away? How can I get to that person? How can I reflect the love of God to that person, the grace that I know about? Are we inviting and welcoming the people of the evil one to be a person of the kingdom? Are we trying to shut them out and have them uprooted? Now, I know there's a a part of that where you have to... You know, be careful and separate. I get that, but you understand what Jesus is saying here. It's clear that God wants all seeds to grow and become people of his kingdom. All of us. Don't wait, he says, until the harvest, though, because there is a harvest coming. And no one knows when that's coming, so you need to be ready now to become a person of the kingdom. But make no mistake, that judgment will come. And you're either going to be a person of the kingdom or a person of the evil one. Oh, man, don't make it so simple, Jesus. That's the way it is. And Jesus does not sugarcoat what will happen to them, does he? There will be separation and a judgment. And I know we got some of our younger ones in here today, but that's what Jesus said. Being burned in a fiery furnace where there's weeping and and gnashing of teeth doesn't sound like where I want to spend my eternal destiny. But Jesus said this is a part of it. But Jesus would ultimately give his life and destroy sin and defeat death so we wouldn't have to endure that. That's how much he loved us. So that we could instead shine, like he says at the end of this parable, shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. That's what God ultimately wants for us. And we can start doing that now by becoming a person of the kingdom. So this morning we're going to offer an invitation. Maybe there's somebody here that's ready to become a person of the kingdom. And there's no way I can know who's a person of the kingdom in here and who's a person of the evil one in here. For all y'all know, I could be a person of the evil one. But it's kind of obvious, isn't it, when you're around people, what they do, how they react on an everyday basis. But ultimately, God wants to change us and grow us into being who he's called us to be, to reflect who we are, and we are a child of the king. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. His life, his death, and his resurrection is who gives us eternal life.